Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. The glorious era that was Tudor England helped shape the early exploration and colonization of the North American continent. Join me as we continue a deep dive into Tudor England and its great transatlantic explorers. As the Tudors prepare to explore and settle in America, the battle rages on to determine if the colonization will be done under the Catholic or Protestant banner. On a recent fact-finding trip to southern England, I went in search of Queen Elizabeth I with the intent to deepen my knowledge about the Elizabethan era and learn as much as I could about the circumstances of the Queen's death and the details of her obsequies. Westminster Abbey is a large twin-towered Gothic church with a vast interior. Founded over a millennium ago, it is one of the United Kingdom's most notable religious buildings and the traditional place of coronation and burial site for English and, later, British monarchs. Many royal marriages and national commemorative events have also been held within its walls. My walk through the abbey was done in a straight line past brass gates and up a flight of stairs into the magnificent Henry VII Chapel, a large lady chapel devoted to the Virgin Mary at the far eastern end of the abbey, paid for by the last testament of the first Tudor king. The apse of the sanctuary contains the altar, and behind that, the tombs of Henry VII and his wife. The tombs of several other monarchs, including Edward VI, Elizabeth I, Mary I, James I, Charles II, and Mary, Queen of Scots, are found in the chapel. As for Gloriana, the Rose of England, Queen Elizabeth, I moved to the north aisle of the chapel towards a large marble structure. I directed my sight to the royal effigy's face atop an above-ground stone vault, then set my eyes on the Queen's splendid dress. This structure was the grand monument of sister queens, Mary and Elizabeth Tudor. The actual tomb, where Elizabeth and her half-sister rest in their stately coffins, is under the floor. I stomp my foot on the hard surface. The tomb is accessed via steps leading down into a dark vault by the raising of a stone slab that covers the entrance a few feet from the actual tomb. Elizabeth's coffin rests on the top of the coffin of Queen Mary. This tomb below encloses two coffins, and two only. The coffins within the tomb contain the bodies of Elizabeth and her sister Mary. On Elizabeth's coffin is an inscription and a Tudor badge, a full double rose deeply but simply incised in outline on the middle of the cover, the august initials ER, and below the memorable date 1603. After a few years of temporary repose in the vault of her grandfather, Elizabeth's coffin was finally moved here in 1606 to the north aisle of his chapel and laid on top of the coffin of her half-sister Mary, entombed under this large white marble monument which was erected for Queen Elizabeth by her successor, King James. This monument, however, is less tall than the monument James later erected for his mother, Mary, Queen of Scots, in the opposite aisle of the chapel. I now turned my attention to the Queen's marble effigy, the original wooden funeral effigy that had been carried on Elizabeth's hearse was remade in 1760 with a wax head and new outer clothes. 
The original and unique corset from the 1603 effigy still survives, however, and after recent conservation is displayed in the Abbey Museum. I return my attention to the stone likeness of the Queen laid out before me. This recumbent effigy resembles portraits of the Queen in old age. I notice the gilded collar was modern, added in 1975. The crown, the cross on the orb, and the scepter the Queen holds are also modern replacements the originals having been stolen centuries ago. I caress the coal metal railing around the tomb, another modern replacement for a lost original. I grasp the iron fence with vigor, confirming its solidity. I circled the 10 by 14 foot fenced-in monument, but kept an eye on the effigy, mesmerized by the queen's attire. Although the queen's effigy is now just white marble, a drawing dating back to the early 17th century shows the queen wearing an ermine-lined crimson robe with a blue orb in her hand, a colored dress, and flesh coloring on her face. The four lions at each corner of the effigy were gilded. Unfortunately, no trace of this color now remains. I took a step back from the railing and noticed there were several Latin inscriptions on the monument. I opened a thin pamphlet that I had been carrying in my left hand since entering the abbey and began reading aloud a translation. Sacred to memory, religion to its primitive purity restored, peace settled, money restored to its value, domestic rebellion quelled, France relieved when involved with intestine divisions, the Netherlands supported, the Spanish Armada vanquished, Ireland almost lost by rebels, eased by routing the Spaniards, the revenues of both universities much enlarged by a law of provisions, and lastly, all England enriched. Elizabeth, a most prudent governor, 45 years, a victorious and triumphant queen, most strictly religious, most happy, by a calm and resigned death, at her 70th year, left her mortal remains, till by Christ's word they shall rise to immortality, to be deposited in the church, by her established and lastly founded. She died the 24th of March, anno 1603, of her reign the 45th year of her age, the 70th. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I then turned my attention to a second inscription, which read as follows. To the eternal memory of Elizabeth, Queen of England, France, and Ireland, daughter of King Henry VIII, granddaughter of King Henry VII, great-granddaughter to King Edward IV, mother of her country, a nursing mother to religion and all liberal sciences, skilled in many languages. 
adorned with excellent endowments, both of body and mind, and excellent for princely virtues beyond her sex. James, king of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, hath devoutly and justly erected this monument to her whose virtues and kingdoms he inherits. And finally, on the base of the monument, I found words addressing the fact that two sisters are laid to rest here. Ironically, I chuckled mildly, the Catholic Bloody Mary had always disliked her younger sister Elizabeth and once imprisoned her in the Tower of London. This time I did not read from the pamphlet but simply looked down at the inscription and offered my own extemporaneous translation. Consorts or partners, both in throne and grave, here we sleep or rest, two sisters, Elizabeth and Mary, in the hope of our resurrection. I regained movement towards my starting point, thereby completing my circumnavigation of the marble memorial. I stood in proximity, sharing a moment without words. Regaining my composure, I walked out of the church and into the adjacent cloister garden. With its square of turf, bounded by cloisters, this tiny nature reserve had once given the monks somewhere to rest their eyes and minds. I had advanced through an archway and turned left onto the cobbled courtyard. The monks had walked here in their time of quiet reflection and reading. I could still trace the paving stones of their circular walk in the rough, cut grass. Metaphysically speaking, green was symbolic of rebirth, and therefore appropriate for spiritual refreshment. I was cognizant of this centuries-old green space and hoped its fresh air might enlighten my thoughts, not in a spiritual way, but intellectually. Standing outside of the abbey, I spotted a place to rest and sat on a dark brown wooden garden bench and resumed my contemplations before retiring for the day. The next morning, before heading to the airport, I walked back to Westminster Abbey to bid it farewell, cradling one red rose. I entered the colossal sanctuary to the sound of the Gothic Abbey's bells chiming while the angelic choir soared in majestic harmony. I walked down the nave and then across the transept towards the apse, as I had done the day before. This time, however, I did not enter the apse, instead turning right in the direction of the south transept of the abbey, towards a section celebrated for the large number of poets, playwrights, and writers buried and commemorated there, traditionally named Poet's Corner. Queen Elizabeth's reign had inspired a national literature. It was during this time that the English language became eloquent, expressive, refined, and comprehensible in a wide variety of genres. The author who wrote as William Shakespeare was but one of many talented writers of the epoch, albeit he is by far the best known today. Shortly after Shakespeare's death, there was some talk about moving his remains from Stratford to Westminster Abbey, but the idea was soon abandoned. In 1741, a memorial statue to honor the sweet swan of Avon was finally erected in the abbey. I stood before the beautiful monument and admired the life-size white marble statue of the master, shown in the dress of his period and wearing a cloak. The stone figure of the poet stood with his right leg crossed in front of his left, leaning his elbow on a pile of three books, a garland chaplet signifying immortality, with a dagger, symbol of tragedy, and a dramatic mask, symbol of the theater, were displayed on a pedestal. Several carved heads appear on the base, including that of Queen Elizabeth I. 
The barb's left-hand index finger points to a scroll hanging from the pedestal. Written upon it, immortal words from his quill. The Latin inscription above the head of the statue, in gold on a panel of dark marble, translates as William Shakespeare, erected 124 years after his death by public esteem. I was pleased and deeply felt that this beautiful memorial properly recognized the genius, the dramatic power, the beauty of language, the insight into the human condition demonstrated, not for an age, but for all time, by that player from Stratford. I gently deposited the red rose at the base of the monument in front of Queen Elizabeth and recited aloud, What's in a name? That which we call a rose, by any other name, would smell as sweet. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text history, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y using the code 30605.